0: Get into anything, are you still dealing with the Microsoft Outlook asking for your password every five seconds? Oh.
1: Yes, yes, I am. And, and I've already brought this up like
0: four separate times before we started recording this segment, and Sam's so annoyed with it.
1: If it's the most <laughs> exasperated I've ever sounded to start the podcast, it's not that I'm not excited about the podcast, I'm very excited today. This is a, a very packed podcast, but uh, the office talk. Around our emails <laughs> and subscriptions. They like servers. us
0: being humanized, Sam. They like knowing <laughs> yes. that we're just like them. We deal with Outlook problems as well.
1: Yeah, wasn't it the uh, 20th Still anniversary there. of Office Space this week or something like it that? It was! I think it yeah. was
0: yesterday, the 20th anniversary of the release of Office Space, in case one of those things where you want to feel very old. Uh, Benjamin Hill's coming up for a segment in a little bit, in which we'll talk about another cultural thing that will likely make you feel very old and out of touch also. Um, but uh, yeah, 20 years since Office Space. This
1: yeah, week. I don't have a red oh. stapler handy, but you can't take it away I from me, even, you if, me I, mean, even, I even if I even if did it.
0: Um, so, hey, welcome in to this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. He's Sam Dykstra. My name is Tyler Ron. This is episode number 197, which, according to Sam, is the sum of the digits of all two-digit prime numbers. 197. Who knew?
1: Yeah. And now, now so, you Something has to be, and it might as well be <laughs> 197.
0: <laughs> we're three episodes away from—we're going to be in, at spring training for episode uh, 200, I believe. That is
1: one of us is. I haven't lined conclusion. up yet. Who's going to be there? But I'm going to be there before you will. Yeah, uh, true. It's not going to sync up. We don't up have any well crossover days. What?
0: We don't have any crossover days. When do you go back to New York? The 18th. Oh, so we'll have well a crossover day.
1: A, well, yes, you know. we will cross paths in Florida and Arizona. States.
0: Cross paths in the same universe, just not geographically. Right. Um, Let's get started. Three strikes for this week's episode uh, 197 of the show before the show. Uh, Big news in the Major League Baseball world yesterday. Manny Machado as we all had forecasted going into the 2018-2019 offseason, signs with the San Diego Padres, who give him 10 years and $300 million in the richest contract in baseball history. Uh, Manny Machado, a member of the Padres now for the next decade, although he does have an opt-out clause after five years. We have talked for so long about the Padres and what they have coming up in the system. One area in which the Padres did not really have a game-breaker – uh, was third base, and the Padres now have put themselves uh, with a very solidified infield situation. Two corner spots now, veterans of Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer, and if all things work out, they've got a fantastic double uh, double play combination up the middle of the infield, and Luis Arias at second base, Fernando Tatis Jr. at short. Um, but how does this signing affect the Padres' on the the system side on the player development side third base maybe didn't have anybody that blocked let's say by this move but there are still ripple effects from something like this
1: yeah and and, um you know what's going to be fascinating for me is to watch what the padres do next uh this is great and uh you know i sent out a tweet immediately when it happened when jeff passman broke the news um, you know just how exciting an infield this is going to be. You mentioned Luis Arias at second, uh, Fernando Tatis at short, Manny Machado at third. I mentioned Eric Hosmer at first base. The guys won a World Series. It's exciting to see him play with such young and you know, impressive talent. A lot of people tried to fill up my mention saying Eric Cosmer's not that good anymore. I get it, whatever. Still, <laughs> that is a really, really, really cool infield. And this is a team that won 66 games last year. This is how the offseason should work. If you are not winning games, you should tr- be trying to improve. Uh, this is how rebuild should work. When you get, you know, teams on the cusp, when you have Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, almost being major league ready when you have Arias and Mejia um, you know getting major league time last year when Chris Paddock is coming up when Cal Quantrill is coming up when a, a lot of these arms are getting better you add a big superstar talent like Manny Machado into that mix you don't have to go fully you know farm built you can add because you're going to save money the first couple of years on all these other guys who are you know beyond who will be on pre-arb con- contracts um, you know this is how the game should work in terms of a rebuild now you know I, it's not going to guarantee the Padres a, a playoff spot this year I get that but you asked about the influence on the farm system what what happens next does this mean for Nano Tatis Jr. his window gets moved up you know we kind of all assumed he'd be up around the all-star break maybe end of June uh, probably after Super 2 status is kind of or Super 2 worries are kind of put aside Do they bring him up even earlier than that? Because they say, listen, we signed Manny Machado to win now. Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be our best shortstop. Let's get him here as quickly as possible. Um, You know, does he come up in late April or May? Uh, That'll be something to bear watching. And then one of the other things, if you were on Twitter, you know, Tuesday when the news broke, a lot of people wanted to go contrarian and say, okay, great, can he pitch? Uh, The Padres, as, you know, the, the starting rotation looks right now, not that great. Um, it's their biggest hole on the major league side, the minor league side, and we'll get to this here in strike two. It is their strength, their pitching. Um, you know, they have a lot of guys coming up, but Mackenzie Gore is years away, Luis Petino is years away. Um, you know, not much, not many guys who are going to be at triple A this year, at least not their high-ceiling guys. So you want to win this year, do they maybe dip into this kind of deep farm system that you know, we think is one of the best in baseball, if not the best in baseball, do they dip into that to go get an arm? You know, uh, the Indians have consistently been rumored to be throwing out, you know, Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer this off season. Do the Padres try to trade for one of those guys and get them to lead their rotation. That would be huge. That would put them right in the mix of the NL West. Um, you know, this is just fascinating, and I can't wait to see what the Padres will do next. They need to do something next. I think they need to either get Tatis up early, or they need to make a move for a starting pitcher and not just wait for all this talent to get to the major leagues in two, three, two, three years time. Um, but you know, this is this is one of the fun surprises. Uh, at, you know, is free agency fixed? Not by any means. Not. You know, I think Tom Verducci had a story yesterday that said, "Okay, he got 10 years, 300 million dollars free agency."s Okay, it's not true. That was the uh, most you know, bizarre still old...
0: story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Proves the free Kimbrel, agency is fine. I think was the quote.
1: Yeah, Greg Kimbrell might be the best reliever in baseball. You know, postseason issues aside, and he doesn't have a job right now. He he hasn't. We haven't heard big time money rumors with him. Uh, nope. Bryce Harper's still not signed. Bryce Harper's not
0: out of a job. Yep.
1: Yeah, we, and, you know, Josh Harrison today signs with the Tigers. Josh Harrison's a, a player that can help a lot of you – know, that's a rant I'll save for another day. But um, this doesn't fix everything, but it makes things super, super exciting for the Padres. Uh, just to mention one name kind of offhand here. You mentioned third base not a particular point of strength for the Padres. Um, there's always been the thought that Fernando Tatis Jr. could be too big for shortstop. Right. Uh, maybe someday he would move over to third. Maybe that happens. You know, maybe there comes a day where Tatis has to move over. But, you know, in the Padres' wildest dreams, this turns into something along the lines of Jeter next to Uh, A-Rod. You have a shortstop who can't maybe play the best shortstop, but you get his bat in the lineup every day. You get a guy to to his right who is a former shortstop. The defense works there. It'll be fine. One other name I want to mention is Hudson Potts, uh, who – would probably be a top 10 prospect in, in most other systems. He finished uh, the year ranked 23rd in the San Diego system, but we've talked so many times, that's an incredibly deep system. He'll probably go up from there. He hit 19 homers up here between class A advanced Lake Elsinore and double A San Antonio. Uh, I I've, I would Andres to keep him at third base for the time being. Uh, he was a first round pick in 2016. He's only 20 years old. He's not turning 21 until October you know let him develop where he is best where he's most comfortable again in a dream world he's pushing for the major leagues in in 2020 and you have to move him to a corner outfield spot take that issue when it comes Um, don't worry about Hudson Potts right now the the Padres maybe they use him in a trade someday uh, if he continues to show a promising bat Uh, it's worth following but This is not necessarily like a Josh Naylor situation quite yet where the Padres signed Eric Hosmer. They moved Naylor from first base to left field um, because they signed Hosmer for such a long-term deal. Uh, Potts is a little behind where Naylor was when he made that move. Um, But, yeah, these are all good problems that San Diego Diego is creating for itself. And I can't wait to see what the next few days, few weeks, all of spring is going to be like in San Diego camp.
0: Yeah, it is an embarrassment of riches in San Diego. I don't know if 2019 – I don't think this makes the Padres a contender necessarily. in That's a team that won 66 games a year ago. Like, I don't think they're going to be contending for the postseason this year. But to solidify a position like that and have all these guys who are still pretty low in the system making the climb, the Padres starting in 2020 get really scary and get progressively scarier for the next few seasons after that as these young guys uh, continue their march up toward the major leagues in that San Diego organization. Uh, pretty, uh, Pretty impressive stuff. Uh, in San Diego, going on right now, and uh their fans will celebrate by largely going to the beach. <laughs> so that's what you do in San Diego. uh Strike two this week. Um, our farm system rankings continue across milb.com. Pitchers up this week. Sam, run us through it. Yeah, so uh
1: we did same thing as we did last week with position players. We broke it up thirty to twenty-one. That was written by Gerard Gilberto. Uh, Twenty through eleven. That was written by uh, Rob Terranova and then 10 through one was written by uh, Chris Mumbaka i um, very grateful for them for doing that. It, it's, it's kind of a staff wide effort, but those are the guys who did the write up. So I want to make sure they get their due credit. Um, so I'll, I'll just run through 10 through one real quick. And then I want to explain, especially the top two, which I feel like could be my early controversial, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, number 10. Wait,
0: are you saying the top two in the pitching farm system rankings are controversial, Sam?
1: Yes, a little bit. Did you
0: happen to switch them around? I time? did
1: not. No. Oh, okay. This is much okay. more collaborative effort. No, I did not. <laughs> Long <laughs> listeners of the show will remember a couple years ago when you had the White Sox at number one, the White Sox. Tyler? I did. Yes. Over the bridge. I was editing the piece and...
0: I changed it without uh, checking. Just changed it. Actually, no. I think yes. you I'm pretty sure you texted me. You were like, "Hey, I'm going to switch these because I think you're nuts." And I was like, "All right, whatever." But I thought it was a good. Uh, a <laughs> and good then blasting me on driver, the podcast, and <laughs> then put you on blast yeah. on the podcast. Interestingly enough, the top two this year involve one of those teams. But uh,
2: please, yes, roll, yes. roll so- through
0: it.
1: Uh, Number 10, St. Louis Cardinals, led by Alex Reyes. Number 9, Philadelphia Phillies. This still comes out after the 6-0 Sanchez trade. We really like their depth there. Uh, Particularly watch out for Spencer Howard. He was really, really good at the end of last season. A lot of you might remember he was really good in the postseason for Class A Lakewood. Watch out for him, but they've got other cool names like Adonis Medina, Jojo Romero, Uh, David Parkinson led the Meyer Leagues in ERA last year. His stuff might not be there, but I'm intrigued by him going into his second year. And a bunch of other... Triple A guys who are like right there: Angel De Los Santos, René Suarez, uh, Cole Irvin. Um, really deep system for the Phillies that puts them at number nine. Number eight, the Seattle Mariners. They're here because of some big trades they made this off-season. You might have heard of and that we discussed on the show, bringing in Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn. Those are two top 100 prospects. A lot of systems don't have two top 100 pitching prospects. That- that moves the Mariners here uh, into the number eight spot. Number seven, speaking of two really good starting pitchers at the top, Jesus Luzardo, uh, the best for the Oakland Athletics. A.J. Puck right behind him coming off Tommy John last year. Both of those guys could help Oakland this year. Uh, two of the most exciting left-handers in baseball right now, at least when it comes to prospects. Um, some other interesting names in there, Dalton Jeffries, Parker Dunchey to kind of watch. Uh, below that top 100 level number six this is where it gets really tough uh the detroit tigers we have at six casey mize they took with the number one overall pick last year uh matt manning kind of a consensus top 100 guy as well then there's some others who used to be top 100 probably in that top 150 range. Franklin Perez, who had a lot of injury issues last year. He's going to have to show he's healthy. Bo Burrows was inconsistent, but can show good stuff from time to time. Alex Fado is a first-round pick. Uh, Kyle Funkhauser um, showed first-round stuff at at times in college. Uh, So a lot of interesting names in that Tiger system. Number five, we have the Chicago White Sox. Michael Kopech will miss all this season because of Tommy John surgery. But Dylan Cease was one of the most exciting Uh, Starting pitchers in all of Meyer League Baseball last year, Uh, add him to a mix with Dane Dunning, Alex Alex Hansen, who is going to be trying to bounce back into the top 100 himself. Cody Medeiros, they picked up from the Brewers last year. Some really, really interesting arms in that White Sox system. Number four, we have the Houston Astros uh, with Forrest Whitley. They actually have four top 100 guys, and you know that's what's going to break you through here. Uh, Forrest Whitley, best pitching prospect in baseball. Really wish he could have pitched uh, all of the 2018 season. Decent chance he's not a prospect if that was the case. Really expect him to impact this Houston rotation this year. Josh James, uh, we talked about him for the projection series. He did impact that rotation last year kind of entering spring right now unless they make some other signings uh, as they're either number four or number five starter. Corbin Martin and J.B. Bukowskis coming in right behind those guys, breaking back into the top 100 uh, for them. So those are the four guys there for the Astros. Number three, we have the Tampa Bay Rays. You might remember we had them at number one for position players. Really, really like the depth they have in pitching as well. Uh, Brendan McKay, a lot of people think he's going to be a pitcher long term. Uh, they They make a big pick last year with Matthew Libertore. Uh, They pick up Shane Boz from the Pirates. Shane McClanahan was the 31st overall pick last year as well. Uh, Colin Pache was our minor league reliever of the year. Really going to be really cool to see him pitch this year. Good depth here with the Rays as well as the the kind of headliner. And I didn't even mention Brent Honeywell yet, uh, who is coming back. From Tommy John surgery this year, might have one of the deepest arsenals we've seen in the mi- the miners uh, since he's debuted a couple years ago. Really excited to see him healthy and throwing. Uh, can't wait to see what he do, what he can do in 2019, and how quickly he can climb. This, this is where it gets controversial. I think a little bit. Number two, we have the San Diego Padres. Uh, the Padres have seven pitchers in MLB.com's top 100. Uh, running some, through some of them very quickly. Mackenzie Gore, we've mentioned, Chris Paddock, uh, who has one of the best fastball change-ups combinations in all of minor league baseball. Adrian morahone Michelle Baez, Logan Allen, Luis Patino, Ryan Weathers. Uh, you know, some really, really good arms in this system, and it is deep as anybody you're going to find. Really good. The reason why they're not, number one, is because the Atlanta Braves exist, and – You know, maybe with some graduations, we're not talking about the Braves in this spot. What I think tips the Braves over for me is, and I think we agreed on this, you know, the group that wrote these pitcher rankings, we all came to kind of an agreement on this, is with the Padres, they have the ceiling and they have depth. Braves also have depth and they have some ceiling, but they, the floor is much higher. Uh, there there's so many question marks about guys in that that prodre system that just don't exist here with the Braves. You know, Mike Soroka, Kyle Wright, Tuki Tucson and Bryce Wilson all made their major league debuts last year. They're all now top 100 pitchers. Ian Anderson climbed to double A. He's now a non roster invitee You know, he's looking more and more like a sure thing. Um, You know, Colby Allard debuted last year, and he's no longer a top 100 prospect, but he could still be kind of a number five swing man, and his major league future looks very real right now as opposed to, you know, somebody like Luis Patino who, yes, higher ceiling, probably better stuff. Decent chance he never sees the major leagues. At least Colby Allard has been there. Um, So, you know, when we look at this Braves group and we can keep going on, Joey Wentz, Kyle Muller, Kwasker, you know, Tristan Beck and Trey Riley coming out of the draft last year. You know, this Braves list just keeps rolling on and on. But what we're looking at here is, are these arms going to impact the Major League roster? These Braves arms have already done that. We know they can do that. Um, And that kind of tips them into the number one spot here. Ten years down the road, maybe all the Padres guys we talked about hit their ceiling, and that's super exciting, and that's great. You know, maybe this time next year, the Braves graduate a lot of guys – come out of the top five and the Padres move up and start doing laps around, around everybody else in this field. That's certainly possible with another year of development for those lower-level pitchers. Um, but as things stands right stand right now, give me the closer to sure things than the multiple lottery tickets that exist in the San Diego system.
0: So a controversial top two in which the Atlanta Braves finished number one with Sam in charge of the story. You can uh, voice your gripes at Sam.Dyxdra at Braves.com. Yeah. And uh, we will, uh, you know, Sam on the on the Braves payroll. It's, uh, it's a good living.
1: Listen, listen, I have the overall <laughs> rankings. And if you want to chirp me then, you can chirp me then. <laughs> Just don't... Like, don't accuse me of any Braves bias until I write the piece that I
0: need to write. Let's just kidding, just I kidding. I made it too uh, easy I when I did that. <laughs> like, I get it. All right, strike three this week. See if you can tell. By the way, when we get to Ben's segment, which of these segments we recorded first? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not confused on this topic. Uh, strike three. The the Oscars are this weekend. Um, and Sam had a, a fantastic idea for, uh, for strike three, which is if you were going to pitch a minor league baseball movie idea around prospects, what would it be? I think we did this question
1: a couple of years ago around Oscar time. And I brought up the idea of, you know, following Cuban players, um, you know, as they sign or not just C- Cuban players, but like any international players, especially from the Caribbean and how they kind of have tumultuous signings. Um, especially Cuban guys trying to get out of Cuba, trying to defect. I'm going to kind of take that differently now because the game has changed in in terms of that. Uh, It's easy. It's a little easier anyway uh, for Cuban guys to sign than it used to be. Um, But I think it would be kind of cool. And this could be a fictionalized version of this to make like a decision, like the decision, LeBron's decision.
0: Like Uh, LeBron's decision.
1: Yeah. But for somebody like, you know, Victor Victor Mesa. Um, turn that into ah. a move. Because, uh, you know, international signing rules have changed a lot now. Um, it isn't just so much who can offer you the most money. It's not Yohan Mankata getting $31.5 million from the Boston or, Red Sox. This,
0: the only similar thing I can think to this is ball player Pelotero, which was the story of Miguel Sano um, during his process coming up as an amateur and eventually signing with the Minnesota Twins. Right,
1: right. Now, But now it's, it's so much more uniform. In terms of it's a hard cap, there's only so much money you can get um, that's going to kind of open it up a little bit, at least in terms of July 2nd signings that you are going to sign on July 2nd. Um, But, you know, we know some of the machinations behind this. A lot of guys basically know where they're going to sign long before July 2nd. This should be more geared towards somebody like Victor Victor Mesa or Yolbert Sanchez, who's going through this now. You know, the Baltimore Orioles, notoriously did not spend internationally in their old, you know, front office regime. Now they bring in a new one and they're going through a rebuild and they've said, listen, this is going to be a priority for us. We are going to be on the international market now because they didn't spend much on July 2nd, they have a lot of money. So Gilbert Sanchez, you know, Come, coming out of Cuba, good shortstop, um, you know, really good fielder, good arm, good run tool, all that kind of stuff could really help out their system. They have the most money to offer him, yet he hasn't signed yet. So we know there's kind of like a decision-making process that's going on in the background. Uh, do you take the money or do you wait for July 2nd, again, when more teams can kind of open up a little bit, uh, open up the purse strings and, and just wait that out? Um, I would love to see that, turned into either a documentary or kind of a fictionalized version, you know, to create a prospect out of Cuba, base it on a real story, somebody like the Mesas or Sanchez or what have you. Um, because, you know, this is life altering money, we know that, um, but it's also, it's, it's a life altering decision on what, where do you wanna play baseball? Uh, what type of front office do you wanna play for? Um, you know, Who's going to do the best for your development? who has worked best with Hispanic players before, uh, Latino players before, who's gonna make it easier for you you to transition to the United States. Uh, Those are stories that I I think we just kind of all assume, be like, okay, yeah, Wander Franco gets signed, he gets thrown in Princeton, does really well, that's a great success story. It's very difficult for that to happen. Um, So uh, just having those background stories be, be told in kind of a cinematic or documentary fashion. Uh, would be really neat and really telling, I think.
0: I've got two ideas. Uh, number one, uh, a dramatic story around a, uh, a top prospect in baseball who is maybe the greatest hitter in a generation, but his father was maybe the greatest hitter of his generation and trying to uh, live in the shadow while also crafting your own identity as a young phenom. It's almost, almost maybe a little tiny bit inspired by the <laughs> Maybe. I, th-
1: I think you might have a to little get his bit. life rights. Yes, I think
0: a little bit to this story might have been coming out of the storyline of like guerrero jr the other one and this is off the wall but this is something that i actually very much really want to research and want to learn about and would love for somebody to make a movie on um there was uh the the netflix documentary the battered bastards of baseball uh as people recall there was an outfielder on the portland mavericks during that season um whose name was Reggie Thomas and again the the Portland Mavericks at that time were like a hybrid affiliated slash independent team like i think they had some players on that team who were signed to contracts but most of the guys were were unsigned and uh played as as independent players but they were in an affiliated league they played in the Northwest League it's a very strange situation Reggie Thomas evidently just disappeared Like, no one knows what happened to Reggie Thomas, and there were rumors that Reggie Thomas was an FBI informant, and he just disappeared off the face of the earth. He played in Portland in 1975 and 76. He resurfaced in Boise in 1978 when he was 32 years old, and then just like nobody ever heard from him again. Um, So I think somebody should actually do a story on that. And it's weird because Baseball Reference both lists a death for him as just 1980, no date, but they also list what his age would be if he's still alive, 72. It's very weird. It's very weird. Ever since I saw that documentary, I was like, they just mentioned in passing, like, oh, we had this weird dude named Reggie Thomas. Nobody ever heard what happened to him. Maybe he was an FBI informant. And they (laughs) didn't delve into it at all. It's like, what? What? How could you not talk about this? So I actually really would like somebody to do something on Reginald Albert Thomas, uh, former Houston Astros, Atlanta Braves, New York Mets, Cleveland Indians and Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Better yet, you know, what? I'm an
1: optimist. I'd like to imagine Reggie Thomas, seventy-two year old, has figured out podcasts.
0: Track Yeah,
1: is listening to this right now. Let us know where you are, <laughs> Reggie Thomas.
0: <laughs> Reggie, get in touch, yeah. man. Please. You know
1: where to find us. Uh, just like, just drop us a line saying, "I am Reggie Thomas. This is where to find me in Boise, Idaho. We will find you." Like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We'll come out and I'm not that far of a a drive away. I can. I could make uh, – he's he's referred to, by the way, in several different stories coming up on Google as uh, the Mavericks star from that year. Uh, Reggie Thomas was uh, – let's see what his actual line was during his time in Portland. Um, evidently, you can also buy a Reggie Thomas Portland Mavericks jersey on the Internet. Um, during his time in the Northwest League, he uh, batted over three hundred, a three oh six average, and a nine hundred PS. So, yeah, that would probably get the job done um but just disappeared just disappeared that's what yeah huh? what is he db Cooper? i was gonna say
1: uh, are we sure you didn't jump out of a plane without a parachute it's,
0: maybe with a bag yeah. of money <laughs> reggie thomas well, have we ever seen him and db cooper in the same place at the same time no unless he's on that flight i don't know i wasn't on that flight um so uh oh and the other one that i thought would be really interesting uh the philadelphia phillies have a prospect from moscow Not Moscow, Idaho, Moscow, Russia, Anton Kuznetsov, who pitched last season uh, in the GCL and I think made the climb up to Williamsport uh, at one point last year. But he's got a really interesting story where he basically just like his parents sent him out for baseball because they like needed him to find something to do. And it turned out that he was super good at it. He debut season in the GCL, pitched in 15 games, put up a 0.36 ERA. So maybe Anton Kuznetsov is just like uh, he's a star from an untapped baseball market. He wasn't quite as good last year, but we'll, we'll gloss yeah, it Yeah, no,
1: that's all right. There's, and we know that baseball is nothing if not a copycat sport where once something becomes popular and seems to work, everybody goes. So all of yeah. a sudden scouts are just going to show up in his town.
0: Although nobody jumped on that story after I did my uh, Eastern League tour of the Soviet Union thing. I thought I was going to drive this big scouting rampage toward Russia and just didn't. didn't that happen. you know of. But, you that know. you know. That I know of. We know that one thing. Could be, on the the <laughs> but, could be going on behind the scenes. The Reds are in Russia. <laughs> could be going on uh, oh, God. It's a Sam Dijkstra joke, everyone. <laughs> a Thomas joke from 1977. Podcast The Reds are in. <laughs> Sam's, Sam's big with the Cold War yes. humor crowd. Yeah. We're getting a lot of them. Um, so that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Coming up, we're going to head to the Washington Nationals organization writing in a pitcher Sterling Sharp, not the former NFL tight end. But instead – A pitcher who has climbed the ranks uh, into the top 10 in that system's rankings for 2019. Sterling Sharp joins the show next. In the Washington National System, a high-rising right-hander has uh, jumped into the top 10 in the newest prospect rankings from MLB Pipeline coming into this season. The newly minted ninth-ranked prospect in the Washington organization is right-handed pitcher Sterling Sharp, who joins the show. Sterling, welcome, man. How's uh, how's things? you already in Florida getting things rolling for this year?
2: Yeah, hey, thank you for having me. And uh, Yeah, I got down about a week ago, and we just started our official day of early camp today.
0: So tell us about the start to uh, when you get down there the first few days. What's the, the regimen like for you guys? What's the most important thing for you personally to get kind of the, the spring rolling on the right foot?
2: Um, for us right now, we are just throwing. Uh, we have tens every other day, and then we condition and lift right after. And uh, for me, just a routine getting down in the spring to getting back to throwing every day, uh, getting your body right for the every day grind that we're about to go through for the next month and a half and just trying to get your flexibility down, your mobility, stay hydrated and just ready to go for a month and a half.
0: What's the, over the span of the offseason, how often do you get to throw? Because I think people just kind of assume like, oh, well, they must still be throwing all the time over the offseason. That's not necessarily the case, especially you threw 148 in the third innings last year, so I would think you probably took a little bit of time to rest. When you get your, your offseason work started, how often are you actually throwing? Because that ramps up a ton when you get into February.
2: Right. We have a program that we start mid to end December, so we get a good two and a half months off the throne, maybe three. And then after that, once it starts, you might go the first month every other day, pretty light, maybe 10 minutes of up to 90 feet. And then after that, you start working back to 120, probably around 10, 15 minutes, and then you start stretching it out. And then you get off the mound, I would say, after about a month and a half is your first maybe flat ground or pin
1: and through this off season in particular, as Tyler mentioned, you know, you're coming off 148 in the third innings last year, finishing up at double A. Uh, what were you able to take from last season and kind of put into this offseason work? I know you tweeted out a video uh, a couple weeks back, I think, about your slot or your cutter and your sinker. How Those are going to be a problem this year. I think the pitching ninja jumped on top of that. Uh, but what have you been <laughs> focusing, focusing on when you have been pitching?
2: Uh, I think, well, the last season I had uh, having a four-seam just to be able to show the lefties because lefties were the guys that really gave me trouble last year. And it showed more once I got up to double-A. Just having that extra something to get uh, lefties out. The righties, the sink, somewhat gives them a problem more than lefties just because lefties can stay on it better and they can slap it to the left field. But having the cutter and just show more of a little bit Force game to lefties to try to keep them off balance and I think that'll help me going into next year having four legit pitches and not just staying arm side hard and soft with change ups.
1: Yeah and I'm glad you mentioned the sinking action on your fastball and you've kind of developed this reputation as a sinker ball pitcher I mean the uh, you know numbers Bring that out as well. I think he had twice as many ground outs last year as air outs uh, between double A and class A advanced. Uh, at what point in your either career, pro career or even dating back to college, high school days, did you realize, you know, this is going to be my strength? This is how I'm going to get guys out is just getting them to pound it into the ground over and over and over again.
2: Uh um, I didn't pick up until my second spring training, the first spring training down in West Palm after we moved from of uh, Florida. And that was just, I looked at a video of Trinan's in interview with Dan Coco down in uh, Miami, one of their series. And I saw his grip and went out the next day and spring training throwing it, and it was doing what it was supposed to, and I liked the feel of it because I used to throw two seams, but the sink just felt better and it had the action I wanted. And that whole spring I was pretty much sinker, change-up, and then the years after that's been my go-to pitch
1: now. Hmm. Yeah, and how do you kind of approach that in the modern game? I mean, today so much is driven by strikeouts. That's one of the first things people look at in terms of, is this guy a good pitcher? Is he striking batters out at about a batter an inning? Um, you know, you struck out 105 and 148 in the third innings last year, but because you get so much, so many ground balls, so much weak contact, you're still able to be, a good pitcher, which kind of makes you a little bit of an anomaly in, in today's game. Um, how do you kind of find yourself fitting in with the way, you know, the game is trending right now with, its you know, pitchers trying to limit contact as much as possible?
2: Yeah, I think the big thing is just finding out who you are. And for me, that was the thing. Where everybody's not going to have the electric high spin rate, fastball, high 90s that can strike guys out and have a wipe out breaking ball. So my strengths were – sinker and change up and weak contact and i'd rather get quick out and maybe two three pitches and go seven innings on 70 80 pitches and i can always be i can always have a pitch that could get me out of a tough situation with that sinker i can be first and second just in a jam and i can get two outs with one pitch and the hits are gonna come just because the stuff isn't as high as guys that really have a wipeout slider, or high velocity. But, so, I mean, I kind of accept that some hits might squeak through, but I'm always able to get a tough out if I need it with that sinker.
0: So let's talk about your first few professional seasons uh, a lot of organizations with with pitchers sometimes will depending on where they are in their careers they'll keep them away from that mid-season promotion and the nationals have trusted you with midseason promotions in all three of your seasons you go from the GCL to Auburn year number one Hagerstown to Potomac in year number two and then Potomac to Harrisburg last year but I want to I want you to take me through those two stops in Potomac you you go there in 2017 for six outings you make five starts there and you go there to start 2018 with 14 starts and your numbers may make that jump the second time through in the Carolina league to be able to finish up and get some experience at that high A level in 2017 and package that all over the off season and take it into 2018. What do you think the biggest difference was in taking that step forward this past year?
2: Uh, I think that season was me more trusting my stuff, especially the sinker Since that's my go-to, but just trusting that it will turn into a ground out if I stay committed to it and, throw it confidently that they will put it on the ground. And that forced me to just throw the ball in the strike zone more and not really worry about leaving it around the middle of the plate because if you just throw it down the middle, it's going to have some action. And so don't really be too picky with the sinker. And that's kind of what limited my walks and got more action early in the count is just attack hitters.
0: Um your athleticism is something that's highlighted in your, your MLB pipeline bio. And I know your listed height and weight is six four one seventy and they note you could have played college basketball. And um I feel like for, for sinker ball guys, being tall and having long limbs and, and the angles that you come at and the levers you control, that makes it really difficult on hitters. Your your profile as a pitcher, how do you think the the frame and your delivery and your athleticism, how does that enhance what you already do well as a pitcher?
2: From the video that I've seen, I think that my delivery plays pretty well into this style for me, more of a finger ball pitcher, because I think I hide the ball pretty well. I would say I hide the ball pretty well, and it's kind of a low three-quarter arm slot, so it's kind of coming out of behind the right-handed hitters, and that's why for lefties that was my main focus, to have something to combat left-handed hitters. Right-handed hitters, it was somewhat – it was easier at bat for me for a righty than a lefty.
1: And, and I'm glad you brought up video uh, there. You know, I talked earlier about you sharing video of, of your uh, cutter and, and of your sinker. Um, and, you know, you have one of our favorite social media accounts to follow, I think, on Twitter through the Milb account. And <laughs> you're very active on there, and it, it's really fun to see. Um, but how do you feel like that's right. changed – uh you know, in just the three years or even when you were in high school, um, how much guys are sharing video or even watching video just to determine, you know, let's run that back, let's see the action on my pitches, Let's see how my delivery is working. Uh, you know, how much has that changed just in the last couple of years, you think?
2: It's huge, I think, because I mean, you can learn so much more, I think, from just being able to see something happen because some guys might not be able to feel it right away. That's- kind of a feel thing, but some guys are visual learners and if they can see what they need to do or what something is going wrong, that's just a plus and it's easier for guys to pick on pick up on the things that way.
1: So what's something you feel like you've picked up watching video that maybe you've changed recently or even over the long term um, that's helped make you a better pitcher? Uh,
2: I think last year was uh the so actually, the first year in Potomac, it was my end of the year where we started looking at videos. V-level was kind of down, and I was getting hit a little bit, The sinker was flattening out, and we kind of noticed I was getting tired towards the end of the year, and I was kind of stepping across my body more than I already have. But I already do, but this was kind of a bit more extreme, and that, that made the sinker flatten out, and that was just the one thing I, I wouldn't have been able to really figure out without video, and I'm glad that we did catch on to it. and I was able to battle that last month being somewhat beat up tired and got through it with the video
1: cool cool so speaking of video uh i wanted to bring this up uh before we let you go at, at, in a couple minutes here but uh while i was thinking about your twitter account your pin tweet right now if anybody hasn't seen it and your twitter account is that dudes undercourse underscore stir 42, uh, find him on Twitter, find this tweet if you can. But you said, in case at Milb or MLB ever decides to have a dunk contest, and then you have this really cool video, uh, I think it's from 2017, dunking between your legs, then throwing it up, Some better than some of the stuff we saw last weekend at the All-Star Game. My question here is this, how many takes did it take for you to get that? Because we only see you do it successfully. And two, Yeah if there was to do a, if there was a dunk contest, let's say like at the futures game or ahead of the, the home run derby, what could you pull off now? What, what is the trick you would use to one up yourself from this video?
2: Um, well, yeah, the, the take, that was actually my very first one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. sure. I was, uh, <laughs> I was home from, uh, I think it was Christmas break, my junior year or sophomore year college, which one every year that was. And then, uh, I was just going back to my high school, and during layup lines, I usually hopped in for them uh, just to be around the guys. And that was the first take. My brother decided to whip out the phone at the right time. First one, I got it. And that was probably my third time doing it between the legs. And if I was not dunk, I'd probably – I can pull it off now, off the backboard and then between the legs.
1: Man. Uh, yeah, uh, you say it very casually for <laughs> speaking to two people who <laughs> would love to touch for him at one point in their lives. But.
0: I could do that, too, if the backboard was like six feet tall and I didn't have to jump.
1: Yeah, there we go. Trampolines go involved, backboard. still six feet, all that kind of stuff.
2: That's how uh, I practice. Yeah, well, there you go.
0: Who would Do you know of anybody in baseball who could give you a run for, for your dunking crown? Like who, who have you come across in baseball that might challenge you
2: with that? Uh, I've seen Monte Harrison. I've yeah. seen some of his videos. You can get up. Uh, Joe Adele, I've seen him. Uh, and uh, Jordan Adams, that one viral video he put up.
0: Yeah, that's right. Man, I
1: really want this to happen
0: now.
2: Yeah. I like, really
1: want
0: this to happen. Let's wield our minimal power and organize an yeah. MILB dunk contest. I'm sure major league organizations would be fine with that.
1: Yeah.
0: If <laughs> only all the Angels were in
1: Florida, we would organize this right now. <laughs> Get Monte up from Jupiter, (laughs) Sterling's in West Palm. We can make this happen.
0: Oh, yeah. man. Certainly, that- let's talk a little bit about your your pre professional career. You had a really interesting um, collegiate route. Uh, as a, a freshman, you go to Eastern Michigan, pitch one season um, for Eastern Michigan, and then you transfer from the Division One level to the Division Two level, and you go to Jury University. You got to sit out a year. Um, you pitch one season uh, at the D two level, and then you get drafted. Take us through that whole process because it's a really interesting story in which over a three year span. You only play two seasons, still get drafted, um, but you went through a lot over that time. Walk us through those few years.
2: Yeah, it was actually uh, one more school in there. It was Eastern, and then there was a lot going on at Eastern. We had a new AD come in, and she kind of cleared house and brought her people in. So I decided to go Juco and try to get out after that sophomore year and the draft early. So I went down to uh, Darton State in Georgia for my sophomore year. Oh, interesting. And uh, that year was had a pretty good year. Just just the draft didn't work out, so uh, I was actually a couple of credits short from going back to a D1 because the credits from Eastern didn't transfer. So then that got into a tricky situation. So I went to Drury, where I got back with the pitching coach from Eastern Michigan, and then that year had a okay year and got drafted and made the most of the, out of that.
0: That season, um, when you go from your pitching at the, the D2 level and then all of a sudden – you're a professional ball player, and the, the numbers, uh, your numbers at, at Drury, you put up an ERA of 5.9 in 18 games, and then you get into pro ball and you get a 3.28 ERA thrown out there over 12 outings. You make eight starts in your debut pro season. Um, when you looked back on that first season, what did that feel like to go from, like, man, I was a, I was a JUCO pitcher and a D2 pitcher just a little while ago. Now I'm a professional pitcher, and obviously you've made a climb, you know, slipping into the top 30 last year. Now you're in the top 10 in an organization. Like, this, this run has been pretty damn impressive. Compared to what a lot of guys get over the first few years of their careers.
2: Yeah, thank you. And this is, I think, being, it just freed up some ability for me to get into a routine and actually be able to get into a pro ball routine where you're doing baseball activities every single day and you'll be able to get your talent or your, your routine down. And just, this is something that in college you don't really have the, Luxury of being baseball all day and focusing your time on that as much as you can. All
1: right, certainly. Well, we'll send you out on this one. Um, you know, you you ended last year at Double A, as, as we've said a couple times. Probably going to start out there again this year. Um, but Double A, in our conversations with prospects over the years, people have always said that's where you start to feel it. That's when you can really see the show within within reach. Um, how does that make this spring different, does it feel any different to you knowing you're probably going to open two stops away, you've been two stops away, uh, you've shown an ability to, as Tyler asked you before, you know, rise at least one level every season. Um, You know, how how different does this spring feel knowing your proximity to the majors?
2: Yeah, I try to treat it every spring training like the same, but, I mean, obviously this one is a bigger – I would say because uh, I have a chance to put myself in a good situation and hopefully start off in double-A good like the last couple of years start the first half of the season well and be named all-star and then hopefully get a call up midseason.
0: Well, it's been a pretty impressive last couple of seasons for Sterling Sharp, who is now the ninth-ranked prospect in the Washington Nationals organization. You can find him on Twitter, as Sam said. Uh, you can tweet your dunk videos at him. Presumably he can give you a grade on what you need to work on going forward if you want to try to get in on this MILB dunking action. Uh, but uh, Sterling, thanks so much for the time, man. Congrats on, uh, on all the success so far, and best
2: of luck this year. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Lot to get to with Benjamin Hill this week, as it has been for the last few weeks. We welcome Ben to the show. Ben, are you likewise dealing with our long national nightmare of Outlook never not asking for your password?
3: Yeah, but you know what? Before I, uh, I just recently updated Windows, and uh, I was dealing with that um, until just about a month or two ago, and then I had a brief. Oh respite. no! And now it came Restive. back. And now it came back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so welcome back to annoying. our podcast, Office Punk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's just it's, uh, it's 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 getting to me. I have to get everybody's input on it. Um, well, let's uh, let's dive in, Ben. This week, uh, minor league baseball attendance news uh, out. We've also got uh, some Copa de la Diversión items to get to. Let's talk about the attendance thing first.
3: Well, this is my uh, weekly MILB.com feature. This will be the third year in a row I've done a variation of this story. Um, there is a man named David. Kronheim, I believe is his name. I, that is his name. I'm just always a little unsure how to pronounce people's last names. But so David Cronheim, uh, a.k.a. the Number Tamer. You can go to the numbertamer.com and click on baseball reports. He does, bar none, um, the most in-depth. Uh, and if you're into, it's just numbertamer.com, Sam. I see Sam trying to pull it up, but he wrote the Number tamer. All right. No go on.
0: articles of description here.
3: Yeah, we yeah. got it. Anyway, uh, you can go to this site, numbertamer.com. Click on baseball reports. It's all free. Uh, it's a in many ways a labor of love for the number tamer to do this. Uh, he is always uh, David, aka the number tamer, has always, uh, you know, been in, in regular touch with me and. Um, is always telling me about his attendance reports and i appreciate the work he does so um there's so many angles you could take with these in-depth reports that are you know literally a couple hundred pages uh this year i'm just doing a, a level by level look at um by you know just each classification the biggest per game gainers of 2018 as compared to the year before um you know i go by per game instead of total attendance because it seems a little more fair because sometimes teams lose a whole lot of openings uh you know mostly due to weather so their uh, overall total might be hurt but their per game might be okay so, if you enjoy uh, attendance uh, numbers, attendance figures, um, you know who's doing well and why. That'll be the story tomorrow. And you know, spoiler alert, but this kind of goes without saying. The biggest uh, attendance gain in twenty eighteen was surprise. The team, the only team with a new ballpark, Augusta, um, you know, gained almost thirteen hundred per game uh, increase in twenty eighteen. So that is not surprising. But the biggest one, there are some that are kind of surprising. Um, Sam, Tyler, would you guess the biggest uh, double-A attendance increase in 2018? Well, see,
1: I was just scrolling through here, and, of course, Tim Tebow gets, I think, multiple bullets. So I would guess Binghamton.
3: That's a good guess. That was number three in double-A, I think, uh, because – uh, he got injured fairly early on in the season, and uh, yeah, and the weather. Even yeah. though he was a driver of attendance, the weather was also so bad, especially in markets like Binghamton. They didn't gain quite as much, but um, you're on the right track in Double A, the right league, and one of the and one of the few uh, scenarios where it would be kind of player oriented or player motivated. Because as we know in minor uh, league baseball, in most cases, the players on the field don't really drive attendance, but this team might have had the players drive attendance. New Hampshire, New Hampshire Fisher New Hampshire, Cats, Hampshire, yes.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, you led me to the well, and, and then I drank.
3: I did, Thank but but no, and, but you had a good initial guess, and then you know we worked together. There this is go. a team effort. Yes. Um, but yeah, every every team has its own story in terms of why its attendance went up or down. Uh, obviously, if I had endless time, I could write 160 stories on attendance, but this is just a quick overview, and it'll be up on the site milb.com uh, tomorrow, which will be today if you were listening to this podcast on the day in which it comes out.
0: There you have it. Um, the uh, the MILB attendance growth is uh, one of the – I mean, every year we talk about what the keys are to kind of – continuing your push into your community um, and one of the big things that's coming up soon, the Copa de la Diversión, there's a story up it's a release from MILB.com um, that 72 teams this year will uh, join that program in 2019 so keep an eye out for that because we're going to have a lot more on that as well um, but we're going to segue from, from these conversations, those are things that make minor league teams successful um, Ben, if you were pitching uh, a, a movie idea around teams or the business of minor league baseball. I'm trying to make this sound organic. Ben, Sam just put this in the email, uh, but now I'm really intrigued as to what uh, the, the answer of it is. Your pitch based around clubs or the business of minor league baseball for a movie. Let's hear it.
3: Well, you know, this might be a little, of uh, not an unfair answer, but um, I know we're talking movies right now, but something that people Oscars have- Oscars on Sunday. Yeah, the Oscars are on that's, Sunday. That's why I put it in the email, okay, time. Thank okay, you very much. Okay, I get Great. it. Is this paid? Is this paid content? Are the yes askers? the Academy Awards are <laughs> our first official sponsor? Show before the show the podcast Academy brought to you Awards. by the Academy. <laughs> yes. Um, well, please make sure to watch the ceremony this Sunday evening on, <laughs> on uh, ABC. On ABC. Um, yeah. So, you know, my answer is a little bit of a, a cheat or a slight diversion, but this is an actual conversation I've had with multiple people, independent of one another. Um, but you know, people know what I do and uh, the kind of angle I have and So this has been pitched to me, not like I have the power to make something like this happen, but more like an ensemble comedy similar to, you know, The Office, but the front office. Um, That could be a movie, but I think that is the pitch I would make, whether talking on a movie show or a TV show of, you know, focusing on the uh, internal dynamics, um, the relationships among all these different people coming from different places and all kind of forced to interact um, in pretty tight quarters and long hours over the course of a season. And you think of all the natural comedy that could ensue from these sort of things, you know, like whatever confusion can result from having to go pick up a player at the airport and not being able to find them, um, you know, uh, missing mascot head and at the, at, a, at the exact time the mascot's supposed to do like a between inning routine. A guy who comes in
1: apparently once every three years and asked to roam your ballpark for free and eat all your food. Uh, would that be uh me? Yes. Yeah. I'm saying I'm trying to get you a bit part <laughs> your own show,
3: Ben. Yeah, I would like a plot based on the anxiety of a Ben's biz visit. Um, oh no, that guy oh, is it, coming. It, <laughs> this guy That's a real. That's a real thing in
0: minor league front offices. It's like uh, you know, you're getting a government inspection. It's like, how do we make this place look good?
3: Yeah, yeah. It it shocks me to feel like I might have any power, which I'm not sure I do. But uh, for any team is cared that that I visit, please don't be scared of me. I I just you know want to see you and meet you have a good time uh but so that's a a little bit of a you know not total i I think it would probably be better tv show right but you know the front office and i wouldn't want it to be a parody of the office but you know that that sort of dynamic i think is rich and if anyone uh, wants to develop a series like that have me as a consultant or advisor i'd I'd be happy to um i'm sure tyler could uh to pitch in as well uh, having been a, a veteran of uh existing within that dynamic for uh, various years of your life for and sure we
0: have a dude on staff who has done a lot of screenwriting in his life and josh jackson he and i have uh, discussed things like this we've already got the team let's just cut this segment out because we've already got this <laughs> thing figured out <laughs> yeah, we're, giving we're away redacting ideas. Out. nobody's bad. taking this idea this segment is actually just going to be a five minute long audio tone just a beep just blocking out this whole thing so nobody can hear it not really I
1: was going to say. Does that mean we can say whatever we want now?
0: Yeah, well. <laughs> we can just curse with impunity. Yeah. But no, I think it is. A, it's a really good idea because it is a very unique, to say the least, working atmosphere.
1: And then, well, the, what's that show, Brock Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's not front office. That's an announcer, and that's a completely different world. The, right. The very narrow plot. I feel like there's so many other opportunities and so many other stories to tell. I don't think a lot of people know like how much involvement there is in a minor league front office and how you know you have your different departments but how much overlap there is as well
0: and the thing that kind of drives me insane and i'm sure it's the same with you guys but like when i watch a tv show or a movie that's about sports and i see things happen then i'm like that would never happen like that uh you know brockmeyer i love Meyer, but it's it's uh it's about a fictional minor league team that's independent um and it's very much a uh A cliche kind of they're by the shoestrings they're barely making it by in this small town and everything else has gone out of business and the team's barely hanging on and this evil corporation wants to tear down the ballpark blah 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 like it's a lot of tropes like that but there are a lot of things that actually happen in minor league front offices that are fascinating and I think would be fascinating to the average person, not just like a bunch of nerds who work in minor league front offices, tuning in and finding it interesting. Like even when uh, it was very much like through the looking glass, but when Eastbound and down filmed uh, season three uh, in Myrtle beach, I was working there and part of being part of a front office that was creating a fake minor league atmosphere for a fake minor league team while working in a real atmosphere of minor league baseball for a real minor league team like that kind of stuff is fascinating and uh, I think that the crossover would be very easy to make work between the the weird world of minor league baseball and that external stuff where you could project it in a in a fun way
3: yeah very meta a little yeah, winking that's the word yeah layers upon <laughs> layers upon layers
0: layers upon layers yeah. Um, what's uh, what's going to win best picture on Sunday since this is the show before the show podcast brought to you by the Academy?
3: Um, I'm going to pick the favorite as okay. in just whatever. Uh, favorite with a U. Whatever has the best odds. <laughs> oh, <No>. come on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, that was very. Good. I was like, that's,
3: like, gonna, that's gonna be a very nuanced know. take from that Ben. Like, that's
1: you yeah. know, favorites in the mix. That could be interesting. Nah, really yeah,
3: powerful. yeah, Whatever the people think is gonna win, just just go with the favorite. That's my horse racing strategy too.
0: Sam, what are you going with? Uh, Roma. Yeah, uh, I um I haven't even seen Roma, and I'm gonna pick Roma. Just of what I've heard. I
1: highly recommend seeing it. Uh, I gotta
0: watch it before Sunday. I'm actually in the Oscars pool with uh, one of our editors, Paige Schechter um doing a just a for fun pool of uh she knows that i'm kind of a nerdy film person and uh so we were talking about oscar stuff and i have not seen nearly enough things this year but everything i've heard about roma i'm just like yeah i kind of feel like that's gonna do it
1: yeah it's it's beautiful it's a beautifully told movie it's a a lot of different scenes around the theme i would say um, but each one is really, really cool and really different and unique in a story that I, I don't feel like has been told. You know, Bohemian Rhapsody is fun if you like Queen songs for yeah, an hour and a half. And uh, Green Book <laughs> sounds doesn't like bring not. anything new to the table. What?
0: It <laughs> sounds like you did not like Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I it's fun not. if Am you like I Queen Chief songs Bo- for an hour and a half. No, I really like I really like
1: Queen, but like I really enjoyed the concert scenes and it, there's. Yeah it's freddie mercury for crying out loud Like yeah. so much meat on that bone you could talk about and yeah they kind of just like get me to the concerts asap yeah,
0: yeah. anyway
1: okay. speaking of concerts though we should bring this up before we go or before we let ben go um about this chattanooga tie-in with like a korean pop band that i'm gonna sound really old and say i've never heard of before but what
0: what was the story you think of the chattanooga lookouts
3: yeah yeah so this is just a little bizarre thing i'm going to do a little more researching into it tomorrow and should have a blog post up Caught me completely off guard um the chattanooga lookouts you know double a team in the southern league um they tweeted on friday in honor of bts tweet this is an account at bts underscore twt in honor of bts tweets J-Hope's birthday. We've got a billboard up to celebrate. BTS Army. Be sure to check it out through this through his B-Day Monday. And then there's a picture of a billboard that is actually kind of attached to uh, the stadium itself that says, happy birthday, J-Hope. And J-Hope is a member of this Korean uh, boy band, a pop band called uh, BTS. So it's Friday afternoon. I see this tweet, and I just see the retweets and the likes just going crazy. As we're speaking right now, there are 21,809 retweets, uh, 63,914 likes, probably you know, in the top two probably of most engaged with uh, minor league team tweets of all time. I quote tweeted this tweet and just said, I'm not exactly sure what's going on. And um, you know something to that effect. And I ended up with probably my own personal, like most engaged with tweet at all of all time. What it comes down to is this band, who I'd maybe heard the name in passing, but I never really thought about who they are. They're obviously very popular in Korea, but they are now globally popular. They have a massive group of fans who are into them. The Chattanooga Lookouts, uh, through their uh, iHeart Radio local, one of their local FM, uh, you know, radio station partners. Um, I think they've been playing PT, uh, BTS music at the ballpark and kind of got hip to what a phenomenon this is. And um, you know, so they partnered the radio station, The Lookout to say, hey, um, let's get a birthday message up for J-Hope. And it is now, then it became a global phenomenon. My quote tweet expressing confusion about all this, the BTS army res- <laughs> responded again and again but they were all so nice. You think about the internet and you think about people just always being – Or when you think of calling something an army. No, it's – look up the BTS army. They oh, no, are I, an I, army.
1: I get that they exist. It's just like the fact that they're called the army. Just Yeah. You
3: know. But it wasn't kind of like – you idiot how could you not know this or why you know what what is your confusion about or anything like that it was just kind of like bts or this band and we love them like check out this song check out this email they're like sending like blue hearts my way or something um the sacramento river cats whose twitter account is currently is is clearly run by a bts fan responds to my tweet with like it's like stan bt7 ben or some some like something like that and that has like a thousand some likes and then that got responses like "Ooh, look we have an intellectual and i think that's a reference <laughs> when like bts fans talk to each other and someone makes a good reference then then they post about "Ooh, an intellectual so the bts army thinks the sacramento river cats uh twitter account is representative of an intellectual because of their response to me expressing confusion over the chattanooga lookouts billboards celebrating j-hope's birthday oof <laughs> It's
0: fascinating it's a fascinating. My favorite reply to Ben's tweet uh, a, uh, a woman named Gemma Simmons replied Drove the hour and a half to see it Slightly was convinced it wasn't real But happy it was And she posted her own picture of it She drove an hour and a half To find this billboard And post a picture of it Through a, a rainy car window That is pretty impressive
3: dedication absolutely the bts army will stop at nothing to celebrate bts and i learned through the replies this tweet that um these birthday messages are common a common k-pop tradition to to do this kind of thing so there is precedent this was all helpfully explained to me by the kindest people on the internet i really want to like bts now because everyone's so kind i'm having a little trouble really getting into the music but i'm gonna try and bts army please know i'm trying earnestly and i want to be a part of, of your, uh, phenomenon of your, of your army. So I'm working with <laughs> True.
0: Yeah. When we first started talking about this, we said that's gotta be the most engaged minor league baseball team tweet of all time. Right. And then, uh, Ben remembered that the Durham bulls had a tweet from last May, uh, Chattanooga's tweet is closing in, in terms of retweets, Uh, Durham's tweet was this conservative pundit Ben Shapiro tweeted Bull Durham is the most overrated baseball movie ever and the Bulls dunked on him by just quote tweeting it with you're overrated that got 21,978 retweets Chattanooga's is currently at 21,807 but Chattanooga's tweet has 63,914 likes Durham's has 147,190 likes Yeah, so that's, so that's still like number People like the Durham one. Bulls crushing Ben Shapiro a little bit better, I guess
3: Yeah, but I mean, is this so indicative of American culture in the 2019 and That the, yeah. two, the two best performing tweets of all time are one A kind of like, uh, you know, casual drive-by put-down of a conservative commentator And the other is a earnest celebration of a K-pop phenomenon
0: It's it's never a a dull day on Minor League Baseball Twitter. No, Uh,
3: it keeps me young to just to always know what's (laughs) going on in the culture. Happy birthday, J-Hope.
0: Yeah, happy birthday, man. Happy birthday. Um, And and you can follow BTS on Twitter at BTS underscore TWT, in case you were wondering. And Benjamin Hill you can find there at Ben's Biz. And uh, from what I've heard, I don't think – ben is gonna be the secret oscars host on sunday but as we've learned in this segment anything's possible via our partnership with the academy so ben good luck if that's
3: you hey that is right um well yeah i can't divulge anymore but i (laughs) I, but I, i will be at the ceremony and be ready to be utilized uh for whatever they need me for thanks ben thanks tyler thank you sam
0: Uh, according to a baseball prospectus story from uh, a while back, um, Portland Mavericks manager Frank Peters had to hire security guards to protect him from his own players, quote, including star Reggie Thomas, who punched him and threatened him with a shovel. <laughs> what? So uh, Reggie Thomas, scary dude. Yeah we don't know where you maybe we or,
1: don't want to go to boise to just track him down
0: <laughs> or or maybe he's just uh he's just that
1: cool yeah man. or that he's just like
0: he couldn't handle it he's like i'm opsing 900 for this team somebody sign yes, me
1: that's true i again I, I will say if you, if you are listening reggie thomas we want to know your story
0: yeah if you are anybody listening who knows anything about reggie thomas we want to right. know the story uh, because I just don't know how you put a line in a documentary like, oh, yeah, and then there was this one dude, and he was really good, and nobody ever heard from him, and there were rumors that he was an FBI informant and uh, also evidently pulled a gun on his manager once because he didn't see his name on the lineup <laughs> card, according to a Seattle Times column. And maybe we don't want to meet Reggie Thomas. I would think by 72 he's mellowed out a little bit. Ah,
1: that okay. could go the other way.
0: Yeah, that's true. It could go a little nuts. Reggie, we're open. We're open to it. We're open to your story. And if you want to get in touch, podcast at MIA.
1: As the Academy to did to sponsor true. this podcast.
0: Exactly. We got an email from uh, prez at <laughs> theacademy.com asking, you know what, market we need to get into my baseball podcast. How would you guys feel about that? And we thought, yeah, I guess so. Um, we should probably note. Uh, we are not sponsored by the Academy and we make no claim to actually being. I will say
1: this though. Um, thanks. We have been acting this entire time. Just a
0: thought. Oh, See how good we are. Yeah. Voice actors. Um, I actually, uh, for the last three months have basically done nothing but vanish into the world of Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, If you don't want to know anything about the guy who does the voice of Arthur Morgan, just turn off the podcast now. Because I know uh, my former colleague with the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, James Smythe, who's now a statistician with the Yes Network. James had an AOL email address like forever and never wanted to know what the guy who did the welcome you've got mail, what he looked like. Never (laughs) wanted to know what that guy looked like. I just found that fascinating. But the guy who does Arthur Morgan's voice is Irish. And that... Baffled me. So now that makes know. me very
1: happy. Obviously. How did I get
0: on that? How did I get on that?
1: My, to bring this around to the Oscars. Oh, voice. Oh, uh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right. To bring this back around to the Oscars, though, how has Sam Elliott not had like an entire cowboy video game based around his voice?
0: Yeah, that is true. That is true. You know, it's interesting. I actually read a, uh, a pretty in-depth story about the creation of Red Dead 2. And Red Dead's creator said they did a game several years ago. I think it was one of the Grand Theft Autos where they brought in, like, actual big-name actors. And they said they were so difficult to work with that they were just like, we're not going to do that anymore. We'll work with, with anonymous voice actors. We're not going to deal with big personalities. But I feel like Sam Elliott would be. Sam Elliott
1: is currently in a movie about killing Hitler and Bigfoot. I can't imagine the guy has that big of a personality or it would be like that difficult to deal with. I don't know. I've never met the man. He seems very charming. He has an excellent first name, but, um, and an even more excellent voice, but, uh, I, I can't speak for him, but I just, I, I watched the stars born and I'm just like, I just want you to be a cowboy forever and ever. And if Red Dead Redemption three comes out and Elliot doesn't have a small bit
0: part, let's say, isn't like, running a
1: saloon somewhere i'll be
0: disappointed yeah i thought bigfoot was like an american legend oh, they oh had
1: bigfoot zero? oh no it's it's he's like an american soldier it's this whole big i uh, go read the wikipedia page on it it is fascinating <laughs> how this movie got made and apparently it's supposed to be very good and how much it just leans into how weird it is
0: huh so so far today we have covered uh outlook password issues a uh, player from the Portland Mavericks who may or may not have been an FBI informant and disappeared, and Red Dead Redemption voice acting. Uh, we covered it all on the minor league baseball. That's game. a full full episode. We, we do it all for you. Um, and we managed to talk some baseball in there as well. So if you want to get in touch with the show, we are at podcast.milb.com. At Sam's on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, that'll do it. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.